God, we don't understand why you want us so much, but we sure are happy and glad about it. Thank you for pursuing us, for having your mission to seek and save those of us that are lost. In this time, you know, Janet and I just want to be used by you, get us out of the way. We want Jesus to be lifted up and glorified and how to commune with him, how to uh, have good relationships, how to really intercede, how to practically have a living experience with you. That's what we're about today. So please speak to our hearts, Jesus, and help us. We know you will, and we thank you in your wonderful name. Amen. Well, I am so thankful God gave me Janet. Amen? What a, what a powerful person she is. And I don't know all what she's going to share with you today, but I know that along the way, I wasn't as sensitive a husband, busy in ministry and being successful, church is growing, then in the conference, then a conference president, blah, 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 blah. And I was not very sensitive at what was going on in her life, spiritually. And God had to jerk us up and change us, and we're so thankful for that. And so I think she may share a little of that sometime, what happened in her own life. But when Janet had her major change and the Holy Spirit touched her and brought her alive again, um, she was just so on fire. And uh, some ladies, it was uh, about the time the walls came down in Russia, and uh, some ladies in North America, maybe some of you know Ruthie Jacobson and some others that were really into prayer, asked Janet if she would go with them over to Russia and help teach the ladies over there specifically how to really know Jesus, how to have a prayer life, how to have a devotional life, because they'd been living under communism. They really didn't know many of these things very well. And so uh, she came to me and she said, well, what do you think? And I said, oh, I think you should go. It'll be great. Um, you know, it'll help you grow and you'll be a blessing to them. I think it's wonderful. Just go. Well, she said, but Jerry, it's three weeks. And she said, we have two boys. We had two young boys at home. And she said, what about the boys? And I said, oh, that's no problem. I, I'm Mr. Mom. I've got this, you know. Uh, I, I can do this. <laughs> Problem was, I didn't know what I didn't know about being Mr. Mom. And uh, Janet did an awful lot of things all through those years that I didn't realize she was doing. Wonderful wife and mother. But anyway, off, uh, she left us some food in the freezer and uh, did her best to prepare, and off she went. And things were going fairly well for about two weeks. But um, after about two weeks, I was getting very grouchy. You know what grouchy is. And um, I wanted Mama to come home. <laughs> I was tired of, the, of taking care of kids and trying to be a president and do all this stuff too. And of course, Zach, you see him in the back. He's a very sweet little boy. But he was at the table. We were having supper, he and Tyson. And we were eating spaghetti. And at, at the supper table, Tyson, I mean, Zach was playing airplane with his spaghetti. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he and Tyson thought it was funny. I didn't think it was funny. And I said, Zach, will you sit up to the table? You want to spill spaghetti sauce on your pants, you'll have to wash your clothes again. Sit up and eat right. So Tyson and Zach both go, oh, daddy's going off. So everything got real sober. Then I decided to go heat up the tomato sauce and took the glass jar out to the kitchen, put it in the microwave and heated it up. Took it out of the microwave, didn't realize, being a man and a preacher, how hot it would really be. <laughs> so I grabbed the glass jar for about a split second. I went, ah! like that. The glass smashed on the floor. Spaghetti sauce went all over the kitchen. And I've never heard Zach and Tyson laugh so hard in my whole life. They thought it was so funny. Oh, dear Dad, he's telling Zach, sit up to the table. You might spill a little spaghetti sauce. He paints the whole kitchen with spaghetti sauce. I love that story because I love God.
And I've discovered that when I start to get on my high horse, and I start getting critical of others, and I start pointing my finger, and telling them what they're doing wrong, and uh, acting holier than thou and everything, God has his way. Have you noticed? His way to humble us. His way to put a mirror in front of us and say, hey, you've got the same problem, buddy. <laughs> uh, and when I spend time with Jesus, he can often fix those relationships. He t it gives him the time to tell me what my problems are and what's going on. I like, you know, Elder C.D. Brooks. He was a preacher like we heard this morning. When I was gone to Andrews, I'd just gotten converted. I was coming out of drugs, a preacher's kid. Went back to take theology at Andrews, and he had a week of prayer. It was powerful. And I remember him saying in that week of prayer one time, I pray. When I pray about humility, he said, I'm very careful how I pray. He said, I don't pray for humility. I pray, God, humble me privately so I won't have to be humiliated publicly. Huh? And what does the Bible say? <laughs> Lift ourselves up, you'll have to put us down. Put ourselves down, he lifts us up. That is true in relationships, I've discovered. If we're trying to lift ourselves up, if we're trying to make ourselves look good, if we're trying to draw anybody else down, God has his way of evening the ground, helping us. And so that's a basic principle at the very beginning. I really believe humility, selflessness, and agape love are the real key to all relationships. As you know, you've heard all of that. As we begin this afternoon, I'm going to take the first 20 minutes or so here, and then Janet will take the last part. So if you're discouraged with me and go to sleep, that's okay, but wake up for her, because that'll be real good. But um, I want you to think of something in your mind as we start. Would you picture the person in your mind that you have the most trouble getting along with, or you don't, you like the least, the person that you'd rather not be around? You know what I mean? You thinking about that? Don't look so holy at me, I share. You've got people like that. Somebody you just like less than others. You'd rather not be around them, or they hurt you perhaps, all of that. Okay, think about that for a minute. Precious Jesus, when he came to this earth, had a couple of purposes. One was to make the way home for us, right? To, to recon reconcile us to the Father, to take care of the sin problem so we could go home and live forever with him. The other one, though, was to what? <laughs> reconcile us with each other, huh? Break down all the barriers, Ephesians says, to, to have no barriers between race or peoples or in our marriages, the conflicts and all those kinds of things. Jesus came so that we would be one with each other as well. Uh-oh, he's sneaking around behind me here. Um, look, at, look at with me now. Jesus, you know, I, there's love, a lot I love to say about the chapter 13 to 17 of John. If you haven't read it lately, haven't meditated on that, do it. Jesus is on his way to die in a few hours. If you were going to die in a few hours... Uh, what would you do? A few days, maybe, or something. I'd call my family. <laughs> I'd give the most important instructions of my life to them. I'd want to give them everything that might help them get to heaven, right? Jesus had these disciples. They were fighting over who would be the greatest <laughs> on the way to the upper room. And Judas has sold him already. And so he, he gives them these instructions. First John 13, humbles, takes off his thing, washes Judas' feet one last time, tries to save him. Then he goes in the upper room and he gives all these instructions. And, you know, without me you can do nothing. You've got to abide. With me you can do everything. All kinds of things about obedience and the Holy Spirit. Powerful teachings. But in John 17, he now pours out his heart to the Father. Many call this the Lord's Prayer, right? It really was the Jesus' Prayer. 
John 17, 21. Look at it with me. You know this well. You probably can quote it. Prays for his disciples. He prays for, for other things. But in verse 20, he comes down and starts praying for us. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those that I share who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be what? One. One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow. Jesus, on his way to the cross, is praying that we will be as unified, as one with each other in our marriages, in our churches, in our, in our teams of ministry, as the Trinity is. That's what marriage should be. How is it? <laughs> Many times, not so. And he goes on. And why is that? Because the world looks over into the church and they see us fighting. They look into our families. We can't get along. Do you think they're going to want our God? Absolutely. No. If they see that we have a different kind of agape love, if they see we have something very unique, then they're interested. So relationships is so key to the gospel commission and to the mission. So Satan works super hard to make sure that we have a lot of relationship problems, right? Lots of division and fighting in the church. That's his number one task because it blocks the mission. And I can tell you around the world, as Janet and I go around the world, we have to talk about this because everywhere we go, the church is fighting. Trying to climb over each other for position or power or, or whatever, tearing each other down too much. Now, there's a lot of fine people. Not everybody's doing it, but it's everywhere because we're human, right? So, John's, Jesus' prayer, John 17, that we'd be one so that the world would believe that he really came. And it goes on. You know the, you know the text. But I, I just want to take, in a few minutes, uh, you to some, uh, several stories and some principles. Janet and I, um, over the years, <laughs> if you're around, if there's two people, you'll have conflict usually, okay? So we've had ours in our marriage and family. Talk about that some. But about, um, you know, in the church or anywhere else, wherever there's people, we have problems. So we, over the years, we've found seven ways, seven principles, if you will, to answer Jesus' prayer, that we would really be one as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. So I want to share those principles quickly. We'll just read some of them. I'll tell you stories. We'll only hit a, a few of them in the time that I have. But if you have your handout, you can go with me to page 30. And uh, I've got a lot of the materials you can study and meditate on later. We'll just buzz through some of these principles quickly. But uh, there's some stuff here I want you to have. Don't read too far ahead. Kind of stick with me, if you will. But I want, we wanted you to have this handout so you could have something in your hand, take it home, use it in your own ministry, use it in your own groups, wherever you are. Okay? So we're down now on that first page of page 30 there. Um, D says it's not the opposition of the world that most endangers the church of Jesus. It's the evil cherished in the hearts of believers. On the other hand, the strongest witness God has sent His Son into the world is the existence of harmony and union among men of very dispositions who form his church. Okay, seven principles. Number one, intercede in prayer for people instead of trying to change them or trying to do the Holy Spirit's work yourself. I'm an administrator, a pastor, a fixer, a leader. When I see a problem with people, sometimes I would try to jump right in and fix it. I used to see things in my worship time. I'd read something in the Bible and think, oh, that'd be good for Janet and the boys to change what they're doing. And I'd go tell them. Have you found out that that doesn't work too well to rush off and tell people what they're doing wrong? doesn't work too well. Anyway, so I got back from one trip as conference president, and my staff member was doing it again. And it really irritated me because I had talked to him before about it. Uh, he loved to gossip. Any gossip and I share this summer? What, you didn't have any problems with that stuff, did you? Did you sleep already? Did you? 
No. Negative talk about anybody? No, he didn't do that. Anyway, he loved to gossip. He loved to get the latest little thing about people and go around behind their back and tear them down. I believe in the end that he was insecure. He was trying to build himself up. But that didn't work so well. I had talked to him about it before. I said, brother, you know, we're Christians. We work here in the conference office. I mean, we shouldn't be going around and gossiping and saying negative things about people. But I get back from this trip, and he was doing it again with this couple that worked with us on the team. And he was saying things about this young couple that were not true, and it really upset me. I'm a very gentle person. I don't usually, right, Janet? I don't usually get upset about anything. <laughs> anyway, I wrote down my sort of my little legal brief, the things he'd been doing. My plan was to make an appointment with him. I said, I, I don't have time to talk to you now, Jim, but next Tuesday, uh, I need to meet with you at this time. Okay. So I made a little legal brief, all he'd been doing. My plan was to go down the list, sharing that I knew what he'd been doing, watching him squirm and feel guilty, and then tell him, now cut it out. Don't do this stuff anymore. That was my behavior modification plan. But I've learned with, with relationships, <laughs> sometimes there's a better way. Okay? And so anyway, the day before I was to meet with him, I did what's wise guys too, when you get a spouse or close friends. Uh, God gave spouses for what? To be our help me. Yeah. Janet is a wonderful helpmeet if I will run things by her. She has great intuition. She can see that relationship. Can, I can be helped with all my relationships because she's very good at them. So anyway, I told her what I was going to do the next day. She said, well, that's, that's good, but just spend a lot of time with Jesus before you do it. <laughs> that's Janet. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> Men know everything, you know. So the next morning, I got up really early. And I was spending my time with God. But like we talked about in the other meeting, my, my devotional life had really gotten very dry and boring. And when I opened the Bible, it was like I was an old textbook. And I was trying to drag something out of there, you know, something to bless me in my devotional. I said, God, this is not what you said. And uh, if you look back for just a minute on the very first page of the handout, um, some of my favorite statements about prayer and empowered ministries. Um, first full page. Uh, statement number eight. I brought this to the Lord's mind. It's one I have written in my flyleaf of my Bible. It says, The word of the living God is not merely written, but spoken. The Bible is God's voice speaking to us just as surely as though we could hear it with our ears. If we realize this, with what awe would we search its precepts? The reading and contemplation of the Scriptures would be regarded as an audience with the infinite one. Have you found it that way? Yeah, sometimes. But I've discovered if I say to God, and I did that morning, I said, God, please, it's been really dry and dead lately. Will you speak to me this morning? I don't care what you have to say to me, you know, if it's negative or if it's positive, but let me know you're here. Let me know you're, you're speaking to me. And I've been reading through Proverbs, and uh, I guess it was a mistake to say to him that that, that morning, but anyway, I did. And uh, I've been reading through Proverbs, and you don't need to look this up, but I, I, can't, I was in Proverbs 20, and I don't know how, 12, I'm sorry, and I don't know how he gets me where I should be. But that morning, as I started reading, I was not thinking about the staff member who had the gossip problem or the appointment I had with him. But these texts started to jump off the page. I have them highlighted in yellow. A fool shows his annoyance at once. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, God, I'm hearing you. You're talking to me about this man. And it goes on. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself. I was going to dump my whole load on the poor guy. And then it went on. A righteous man is cautious in his friendships. I said, okay, Jesus, I hear you. You're telling me this morning, and thank you for speaking to me, but you're telling me that I'm right about the facts, but I'm really wrong in spirit. 
I'm going to go and knife this guy on my carpet and leave him there bleeding and think I'm a holy guy. He said, help me. Help me to be more what you want me to be. You know, there's a friend of mine who says he does his worst sinning when he's right. You hear me, conservative Adventist? Huh? We do that sometimes. We know we're right. I mean, I, just recently I did it again. You know, I was arguing, I know I feel I'm right, and I get to arguing harshly. Anyway, I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this guy? And a text came to my mind. Look at it with me. You can turn back now to page 30 on the sheet if you want. But it's uh, Galatians 6, 1. And this text just came to my mind. It's not one that I had memorized or thought about a lot, but I don't know how God does it, but He talks to me, He talks to me. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Jesus. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself, uh, in himself alone and not in another. I said, okay, God, I hear you. I'm not going to be like Jesus unless you help me. And I asked him, how can I deal with this, Lord? What can I do? So he put into my mind how to handle it. I went to the meeting with this guy. I sat down with him, and the first thing I said is, brother, I have a problem. God is telling me, and I want you to pray for me. I want to be more like Jesus. I said, sometimes I talk about other people behind their back negatively. <laughs> is anybody here that can say you never do that? And I said, I want you to pray for me that I'll stop that. I'll be more like Jesus. Then I shared a little bit of what I knew he'd been doing. <laughs> he got the point. But we ended up on our knees with our arms around each other, tears in our eyes, praying for each other to be more like Jesus. That's a principle for relationships, folks. If we can go to Jesus before we go to the people, if we can not try to be the Holy Spirit, but only act when the Holy Spirit convicts us to act, we will see a lot more thriving relationships and a lot more happiness around us. So anyway, uh, that was a good ending to that meeting. I could tell you 200 stories where I rushed in and my mouth was harsh and I shot off and I had to apologize later, and, but I don't have time for all that. So, anyway, but that night when I got home from my trip, a pastor was on the phone to me. He was really upset. And he said, Jerry, I am so angry with my members. He said, they're going around behind my back. They're saying things about me and they're not true. And he said, I'm going to sit my elders down tomorrow and I'm going to really straighten them out. Isn't God wonderful? <laughs> he got me up that morning like Janet said Isaiah 50 verse 4 I spent time with him I said speak to me and he told me how to handle the staff member but he also gave me a word in season for the pastor that night huh? so I said to the pastor let me tell you a little story about me today <laughs> so I shared my testimony what I'd been through he got the point he slowed down and it was much better with his church members as well God can do it if we will take the time before we rush off to fix somebody, our problem in relationships, if we really spend time with him, it's your spouse, it's your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, your relationships will be much better if you give time, God, God time to give you counsel. That's what he says, it's so clear. Okay, so then uh, let's move on. Quickly, I just want to read some of these principles. We won't have time to go long on them. Oh, by the way, 1 John 5.16, underneath principle number one, is a text that I wanted to read on this one. Janet mentioned it. This morning too, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, that's the unpardonable sin, he will ask and the Lord will give him life for those who commit the sin not leading to death. There's that principle. Intercede first, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and only act when he tells you to act and how to act. Okay, Good principle for that. 
Now, the second principle, if you look on your sheet with me, page 30, second principle for answering Jesus' prayer in John 17, that we'd be one, as the Trinity's one, so the world would believe. Respect the diversity of temperaments and God-created differences in people. Now, there's other material under here you can study on your own. Ephesians 4, uh, the body of Christ, of course, has the different parts, the different spiritual gifts, all of that. But I love this statement by Ellen White, Child Guidance, on the next page, page 31. Let's read it. It says, Marked diversities of disposition and character frequently exist in the same family. For it is in the order of God that persons of varied temperament should associate together. Did you hear that? God puts you together with that spouse, that uh, person at work, other family members that are very different from you. Different temperament, personality, different burdens, different spiritual gifts. When this is the case, each member of the household should sacredly regard the feelings and respect the rights of others. By this means, mutual consideration of forbearance will be cultivated, prejudices softened, and rough points of character smoothed, harmony secured, and the blending of the very temperaments may be a benefit to each. If we will learn to just take a break, take a breath, when somebody upsets us, <laughs> the other person, if we, instead of getting angry right away and responding too quick, we do hit the pause button, as some say, uh, if we would just wait a while and think about the fact, well, God made them to see things differently. And is that a blessing for me? Should I be complimented by that? Uh, is it really wrong? Or, or should I just take a breath and forget it and kind of move on? So that would save a lot of our conflicts. Number three, assuming the best about others' motives and actions. Wow, that's a hard one to do, too. I'd love to tell you a story on that, but I won't at this moment. But to try to see when somebody's doing something that irritates you, when they're hurting you or the relationship's going badly, to think, instead of thinking, they're doing that just to hurt me, they're just being mean to me, to think maybe they're doing it for a good reason that I don't understand. Maybe, maybe there's a better motive than I'm, I'm applying to them. I would love to, to talk more about that. Okay, number four, following Christ's specific instructions, not talking to others about problems. Um, what, Matthew 18, Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you got, see somebody else sinning, what should you do? Somebody in your family is doing something really wrong? Tell them? Rush off? Tell somebody else. Maybe tell your prayer partners to pray about this stuff. I've done that, and it's not good. Jesus says, keep it small. Self is so big that if you tell somebody else, and they hear you've told somebody else, then they get offended, then it gets worse. If we can keep it really tight, go to them one-on-one. -on -one. I know sometimes that's difficult, especially if the person's hurt you, abused you, done something like that. So there's the, the possibility, too, of taking a good other person you respect, an elder or someone else, to, with you. Matthew 5, Jesus says, um, even if somebody's got stuff against you and there's this barrier between relationship, you don't know what it is, um, pray for them. Bless them. Bless those that persecute you. Pray for those who, who misuse you. And ask God if he can't help you to solve that situation. Number five, yielding our rights and expectations to God. When we preach wedding sermons, um, we usually tell the bride and groom, now listen, you're going to have agape, unconditional love, right? You're not expecting anything from your spouse, right? Is that the way we get married usually? Is that the way we date? Ah, is that, is that too hard? Let me ask you, do you, you know anywhere where Jesus ever went around defending his rights? Never. Ellen White says he did not. Never defended his own rights. Everybody else, but never himself. Our marriages, our dating, everything else is because you aren't treating me with the respect you should. You didn't treat me the way you should have. You didn't care for me enough. You didn't. If we actually go into our relationships 
laying those expectations down at the foot of the cross. If we leave them with Jesus and really do ask him to fill us and have the unconditional love, uh, then we can't be disappointed. <laughs> you can't hurt somebody who's dead to self. So that's a tough one. All these are tough ones. I'm going to get to the end and hopefully give you some hope how to do it because these are tough principles, but they do work in terms of helping relationships, I can tell you that. Um, you know, Janet and I had been working really hard. We had a week in New Zealand. We um, then went to Mongo Mongolia for a week. We were really tired, and our next stop was China for the first time. We were excited. We were going to be helping the leaders in China. We got to our hotel room late at night, dead tired, and uh, at the door of the hotel room, Janet said something to me. And I misunderstood it. And it made me upset. So I said something back to her that wasn't very nice. So that upset her. So she said something back to me. So that really upset me. So I said something even not as nice to her back. And then she said something to me. You know how it goes? Boom, 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 boom. So here we are, ready to help the leaders in Beijing, China tomorrow. And we wish we had a second room. Because we were really angry at each other. We didn't even want to stay together. So what do you do? Relationships. Driving? No. Next morning we wake up, we're still both very angry. But we did the thing we should have done. She went to one side of the room to have time with Jesus. I went to the other side of the room to have time with Jesus. After a little while, he convicted both of us. <laughs> we apologized to each other. We were in each other's arms. And we went off to do ministry for Jesus. Most. Oh. oh. Yeah. And it was all my fault. Janet's totally sweet. But the principle is, most of our conflict in a relationship, dating, marriage, church, work, wherever we are, has to do with self. It really has to do with self. Love of self, protection of self, defending self, being respected the way we want to be respected, all of those things. So, yeah, how do we do that? How do we put self and pride aside? That's kind of thing. Another principle that Janet uses uh, a lot that I don't, number six. Sorry I'm going so fast through this, but we really want to do other things too. So you can study, you can make your own stories, you can share this somewhere, but first live it. Number six, and Janet does this better than me, she praises God for her source of irritations. Okay, the person who's really getting under your skin, the person that irritates you, that says things about you, that's hurting you, can you praise God for that person? Can you find something good about them? Can you dwell upon the good instead of the bad? By beholding, we become changed, right? Yeah, can you do that? And Jesus says, again, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Uh, but praising has amazing power, and when we do that, uh, Satan has to flee. Look on the next page, 32, number C. It says, when things go crossways in your home, strike up a song about the matchless charms of the Son of God, and I tell you, when you touch this strain, Satan will leave you. So, things are going really bad, it's dark and oppressive in your home, there's argumentation, praise music. <laughs> or maybe you just break out into song, right? Because Satan can't stand it when we praise Jesus. Even his angels have to get away. So that's one of the principles. Okay, now we're going to move to some, some hope, but the last, the last principle, number seven, this, uh, this vision was given to Ellen White specifically for the kinds of fights we see in our churches, in our homes, everywhere. And I'm going to take time to read it quick. It says, I saw the remnant, see page 32, 
We're not prepared for what's coming upon the earth. Stupidity, like lethargy, seemed to hang upon the minds of the most of those who profess to believe we have the last message. My accompanying angel cried out with awful solemnity, Get ready, get ready, for the fierce anger of the Lord is soon to come. His wrath is to be poured out unmixed with mercy, and you're not ready. Rend the heart and not the garment. A great work must be done for the remnant. Many of them are dwelling upon little trials. Said the angel, legions of evil angels are around you, trying to press in their awful darkness, that you may be ensnared and taken. You suffer your minds to be diverted too readily from the work of preparation and the all-important truths for these last days. And you dwell upon little trials and go into minute particulars of little difficulties to explain them to the satisfaction of this person or that person. Conversation has been protracted for hours. Amen? Between the parties concerned. And not only has their time been wasted, but servants of God, other leaders in the church are called into, well, you see my side and you see my side. I, yeah. But the servants of God are held to listen to them when the hearts of both parties are unsubdued by grace. Here's the best relationship conflict management seminar in a sentence by the prophet. Huh? If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would solve most difficulties. Your marriage problems, your dating problems, your church problems, pride, selfishness. Angels have been grieved. God displeased by the hours which have been spent in justifying self. I saw that God will not bow down and listen to long justifications. He doesn't want his servants to do so either, and thus precious time be wasted. It should be spent in showing transgressors the errors of their ways and pulling souls out of the fire. Wow, what a prophet God gave us, huh? 100,000 pages, lifetime. Woman of God, we need it. Now, in closing, I've, we've talked about following God's commandments. We've talked, uh, in relationships, we've talked about laying self and pride aside. We've talked about assuming the best on other motives, laying down our rights. I mean, these things are all so hard, right? How do we do them? It's one thing to say do it, another thing to do it. So this last reading, Contemporary Peter, I found some years ago, and I feel like it points us to the way to do this. How can we do these things? This is a prayer between a woman and God. And she starts out, she says, Lord, do you require more of men than what I'm now doing? I'm busy in your work, yet I'm not certain it's what you have for me to do. Lord, what more can I do to serve you better? Nothing, my child. But Lord, why do I feel discontented with my service for you? I'm giving myself and my money unsparingly. I'm a church deaconess and a Sabbath school teacher. I give much of my time to witnessing for you. What more can I do for you? Nothing, my child. But Lord, there still remains a vacancy inside. In spite of my private and public devotion to you, what more can I do? Nothing. Listen, listen, my child, stop doing things for me. What? Now, Lord, let's be reasonable. You've blessed my work for you. You've exhorted me to labor in your vineyard. What do you mean? What if I do stop doing things for you? Then I'll be able to do them through you. Oh, I think I see. Of course, Lord. My work for you is in vain unless you do it through me. Make me a fit channel, Lord. Do humble me. May I be a worthy vessel for you to use. Now, what task do you want to do through me? None, my child. What? You said you'd work through me. What's your task for me? My daughter, love me. Wait a minute, Lord. I've been a Christian for 11 years. What do you mean, love me? I do love you. Now that's settled. What's the next step? There is no other step, loved one. Just love me. You know I love you, Lord. Why, my whole life is taken up with service to you. What do you mean? Your love for me is revealed in your love to your fellow man. Oh, I know that, Lord. I do love my fellow man. Do you love your biology professor? 
Well, I don't hate the guy. I just leave him alone. He leaves me alone. <laughs> Do you love your biology professor? Somebody's thinking about their biology professor. <laughs> no. Now, look, we just don't get along. Our personalities clash. You can't solve that. So I just avoid him, Lord. I died for him, and I live for him, too. Oh, I know, Lord. You know, I'd like to see him saved, but you understand that I just don't click with him. Do you love your biology professor? Something how the Lord won't leave you alone. Oh, I respect him, and I think he respects me. I recognize he's a fine fellow. I'm sure he'd make a good Christian, but I guess I do think of him as being, well, overconfident, conceited, even a bigot at times. You know his kind, Lord. Why all this about him? Look at all these other people I love. Why I could... You love your biology professor. Well, he's the one person, Lord, I guess I just can't stand. It's pretty hard to take, but I do love, I guess, everyone else, and certainly, God, you know I love you. You only love me to the extent that you love the person you like the least. That's what I said first time I heard. Still do. You only love me to the extent that you love the person you like the least. Well, then, I, I really don't care about you then, but I've been a Christian 11 years. I always thought I loved you, Lord. Now I see. Lord, thank you for revealing this to me. I will truly love you now. You cannot, my child. You said, love me, and when I said, okay, you, I don't understand. How can you love me? There's no love in you. God is love. Then I can't love anyone? No. You're only the channel through which I can love anyone. Then love this world through me, Lord, this world of broken men. You did love through death, Lord. Oh, love through me again. Yes, I will, my child. Is that too strong? We only love God to the extent we love the person we like the least. But what did Jesus say? Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. But I thank God he doesn't leave us there. Romans 5.5, 5, he says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Romans 5.5, 5, Ask, and you shall receive. Sorry if we come back to the same thing often. But if we will allow the Holy Spirit to baptize us every day, every moment, we will have agape love. Relationships will thrive. They will flourish. That's not an overly simplistic thing. That's the fact. Without Jesus, we can't love. We're full of self. We, we just can't get over it. If we think about it, I don't want to be selfish anymore. It doesn't work. But if we dwell on Jesus, and if we let him in constantly, constantly let him in, his mind will be in us. The mind of Christ. And the, the division in the church, the division in our marriages will go away. Now, marriages are still going to split up. Some people will choose to have adultery or go leave or whatever, but, but relationships can be, like that story we heard this morning, um, the wife who won her husband you know, by just loving so much. Let's just kneel. And in this time, would you just uh, think about anybody in your life that you're not in an upper room experience with, <laughs> where the walls are down, where you're really of one accord? That may not be a terrible thing. You may not be fighting, but you know you're not really one this other person. And talk to God about maybe how you could get that fixed. Lord, we're so thankful that you never command us to do anything. Be one to love each other. You don't command things that you can't help us do. Help us to do stuff, as our preacher was saying. How to do something in the area of one accordness, the area of love. The thing you've prayed so much for in your way to the same. That we'd have unity. We'd have thriving marriages. We'd find the right person to marry by being Thank you, God, for hearing this prayer. Bless everyone in this room. Have thriving relationships in the business.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.